sometimes the things that you don't say are actually very important um, and sometimes they should be said. There are so many times when there's an elephant in the room and you walk in the room and you think as a leader nobody knows it, but everybody <laughs> knows it. Everybody knows it. And if, you're just, if you just ask a few people before you walk in the room, you're going to find out that they're, they want you to deal with this issue. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, if you don't deal with this issue, it's a mark on your leadership. Yep. It's a negative mark on your leadership. That's the one thing. Leaders have to be very cognizant of not just what they communicate, but what they don't communicate to people. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cartavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. This is episode 54. This is Walt Rakowitz part two. We had so much great content from Walt, we decided to do two different episodes. The title of today's episode is Transparency Wins, the vital role of transparency in building trust and transformational influence. Walt is a leadership speaker and he's the former CEO of Prologis, a global real estate company that was near collapse in 2008 and was turned around under Walt's leadership. We had so many great conversations and wisdom bombs from Walt in this first part of his interview, and we made sure that we brought him back to, so you could hear the rest of the story. Walt actually is also an author. His new book is called Transfluence that is coming out on September 29th. Make sure you check that out. All the details will be in the show notes. But Walt stepped into what seemed to be an impossible situation, not only a failing business, but a tumbling business that was falling down and down every day. And he's going to share what it took to overcome difficult times, literally crisis times, to not only survive and thrive, but build an incredible team and culture and to really do it together. And he's going to talk about the role that transparency and vulnerability played in that turnaround situation. So get ready to hear some wisdom bombs from Walt Rakowicz. Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. Craig and I are excited to be back here with the Impact Leadership Podcast. We have Walt Rakowicz with us. And what was so amazing in the first podcast, we had to get this second part out to you because it's the rest of the story. It's the story of the ways, the many ways that Walt led Prologis out of crisis, out of a near collapse and brought it back to, not only saved it, but brought it back to prominence. And so Walt, thanks for being with us and coming back to give us the rest of the story. So, Walt, in the first episode, you told us a lot about the story about Prologis and what happened when you stepped into leadership there. But we really want to dig in today to basically a little more of the story and what really happened with the team and what kind of approaches did you take as a leader to help get through this really challenging time? So, Walt, one thing I want you to speak to, because this is something I hear questions about a lot. How many employees did Prologis have when you took over? Um, you know, we, we had, uh, first of all, um, you have to remember we're a real estate company. So we are an asset oriented company, not a people oriented company, but still we had about, I think we had 16 or 1700 employees, something like that. So 16 or 1700 employees, yeah. a multiple billion dollar company. Yeah. And so... So in many ways, this was a large company. It's not 10,000 employees, but you had a lot of, and yet you came into a situation where there was virtually no trust. All the things that needed to be there from leadership were gone. Because some people say, well, this works well with small companies, mm. but not with lots of people. 
Well, so speak uh, to that truth or lack of truth. So no, 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 no. That it, 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 no, it it works in any kind of company. <laughs> so this is a company. This is a company that had um, operations in Asia, operations in Europe, operations in the Americas, uh, Canada, United States, Mexico. Wow. And today in South America, um, this isn't. This is a company, and we did business in Australia. We did business in India. We did business in Brazil even though we closed down those operations in 2008. And so this is a, this is a global business. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm speaking to you about a message that works in Europe, that works in Asia, it works with thousands of employees, and, um, and, and, and it's real because it's about people. And, and people, you know, you might think that Asians are different than Americans, you might think that Europeans are different, but you know what, people are, very much the same in terms of how they want to be managed um, and, and, and how they respond to great managers. This is, has nothing to do with being a small company or, or a large company. So how did you get that? One of the challenges companies have, and I have this theory that I'll throw out to you, that the bigger the company, potentially the less influence the CEO has. The reason being that they're so distant from the team members that if I have, if I'm, you know, hundreds of people away from the CEO and I have a strong leader that I work with, that matters more to me than what the CEO is doing. That's so that my premise is there's that distance, but you have to, you come in and say, this is how we're going to do it. But how do you translate that down to every level of your organization? Cause you can't do it just by yourself. Mm. You can't do it by yourself, but I mean, I look at, um, I look at, let's look at, um, well, I have a couple stories to tell. One, one was with John Mack, who runs, ran Morgan Stanley, who was revered. I mean, his employees loved him. And look at Jamie Dimon today, who runs JP Morgan. You know, Jamie may or may not have exact same philosophy as, as us, but he's, he's one heck of a leader. And, and I, you have to remember that leadership, you know, tra- Unfortunately, you hate to say this, but culture starts at the top yeah. and then it transcends down in the organization. Mm. Okay. And, um, and so this, you're right. The CEO is not always talking to um, the person who is executing in the field in Paris. I, I, I mean, I get that. And probably with 1600 employees, I had an easier time doing it than somebody with a hundred thousand. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, I could, I could buy into that argument. But nonetheless, if, you know, the larger you become, the more emphasis it puts on, on you, you know, dealing with your flock and encouraging those people to deal with their flock in, mm-hmm. in the same way, um, to, to basically have a core set of values that yeah. emanate throughout the company um, as to how we're going to treat people and, and how we're going to do things um, and measure that. Um, measure that through employee surveys, measure that, you know, it's funny when we, we did this merger with this company um, and um, we set up, this is a great, one of these things we could do. We set up this website that said it was called prologisbs.com. <laughs> <laughs> we asked all our employees the extent that there's BS going on out there, put it in this thing and, and we're going to have a, a separate group of people that would not be not include the CEO that will monitor this, govern this, and, and we'll we'll get it, you know, we'll implement it, we'll find out these things. But you know, whatever it is, make sure that you're measuring it internally. You're asking people how are we doing? What can we do better? You, that you're that you're presenting it to your board and you're and you're presenting results to your board, tangible results. How how is our culture? You can measure these things these days. There's companies that actually do this. And and, you know, how are we doing, you know, and, and you're, you're encouraging your board to begin to talk to lower, lower level managers, not just the people that are in the boardroom, ask them questions. How's it doing? How are we doing? Yeah. You know, you know, how's leadership doing? And, you know, when you create that sort of ecosystem internally, you actually can find out a lot of information. By the way, you'll find out things that you don't like to hear. Let me tell you. <laughs> the story. So um, I hired, I hired a coach to work with the management team during this nightmare time, okay? Mm. And there was, you know, the coach worked with about eight of us, eight or nine of us. 
And um, so he, you know, he does all these, you know, full blown studies, you know, like, you know, personality tests and, you know, um, 360 degree interviews, yeah, talk to everybody that is all around you. How, how's he doing? How's she doing? So I have my first meeting with the coach and he says, well, well, I've got some really good news and some bad news for you. Well, tell me your good news first. So the good news is everybody loves working with you. It's just, you know, that's just great. I said, well, that's great. But now what's the bad news? He said, unfortunately, the bad news, Walt, is that your empathy scores are not that high. I go, what? Wow. My empathy <laughs> scores are not, come on. I care about people, this and that. He said, let me tell you something. What your direct reports tell me is that they like working for you, but you run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Mm. And you're not that approachable because you're always running. You're on an airplane this day, you're on this, that, right? Um, and I thought, wow, that was like putting a dagger in the dude, right? Because I always prided myself with, you know, you know, to connect with people, so forth. And um, he said, let's work on it. Let's wow. really and, and I won't go into how we worked on it, but what we did. And basically, it had a lot to do with slowing down. I, I had to slow down a little bit. And, and I would, you know, I would have to admit back to this pride and fear. You know, I don't know if it was pride or fear, but both of them were telling me that I needed to accomplish. I needed to turn the company around. I needed to do this. And so, and I was more focused on that than I was relationships for a while. And um, so I guess, you know, what I'm getting to is you can have a big company, you know, it's really all about how you emanate it down within the organization, how you measure it, right? How, you know, um, how you talk to your board about it, how you talk to your management team about it, how you stress it, what the values are, and then ultimately make sure that you get coached yourself because we all have flaws, man. And we don't see those flaws in ourselves, but we need something on the outside to tell us sometimes the things that we can do better. I I totally agree with you. I I know Jeff and I are both, you know, huge proponents of coaching and we, we both realize everybody has blind spots and those blind spots are by definition things that you can't see and other people have to expose those to you. And so that is so, so important. And the fact that you brought them in at that critical point was really good. But I, I think what speaks to you and your character is that you were listening and you were willing to take action to change that situation once you heard what was going on. Absolutely. I think the listening is so key in, in leadership. Boy, isn't it funny? We all have this you know, <laughs> reaction to tell first um, as opposed to listen. And I still do it today. I do it all the time. It's hard, really hard. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you brought up a topic that I don't think we've had a guest mention before. And, and it hit me personally about four or five years ago. I don't, I think I've mentioned this around you, Walt. Craig knows I'm involved in a men's organization called the Mankind Project, and I've gotten involved in leadership. And so I now have one of the leaders of these men's weekends. But three or four years ago, I was rising up the leadership, you know, ladder. And we were at a retreat, and I, and I was running across the campground to go get something done. And I stopped, and this phrase hit me, that leaders don't run. Mm. Leaders don't run. And I really took that to heart about just what you said. The leader's role is to slow down. Sometimes mm. there's a need for running, but it, you know, running is when it's life or death, literally. And, but that's not a leadership role. So if I'm a leader and I'm running at that moment, I'm probably not leading unless the only reason to run is so other people have a sense of urgency. Yeah. But it, what you said is that idea of leaders slowing down because there's a lot of leaders I meet who say just what you did. Mm-hmm. I care about my people, but I just don't have time. I've got so much going yeah. on, yeah. which is I'm so important. I, I mean, I get it, it but it's a hard one because I think slowing down is an act of vulnerability. Mm. Well, I, I think that's, I never thought about it that way, Jeff, but I, I, I do agree with you. And, um, you know, it, it happened to me. I mean, and I, I just needed somebody to tell me that. It's interesting though, once you, once you are aware of it, how you can course correct. Um, and in my case, I did, but I couldn't agree with you more. Wow. So, anyway. So I'm curious, one thing that popped in my head is, so you come in in November of 08, 
very dire circumstances. I mean, that's, that's probably an understatement to say dire. <laughs> this is not, hey, we had a tough quarter. Right. <laughs> we're plummeting. You know, we're plummeting. We're going to the, the submarines going to the bottom of the ocean. And you come in and you said the word, you got to turn it around. And a lot of people in a turnaround situation, they're all about, we're going to just come in and clean house and get new people. So talk about to what degree was that part of your strategy, if at all? And number two, did you lose people who weren't willing to buy in to this way of leading? Um, that's a really good, the second question, I, I, I think the answer to that is probably, but nobody that was critical. <laughs> wow. Um, but I would say the answer, well, first of all, we had to lay off a third of our workforce. Mm, ouch. Um, and so, and, and there's a story there too. I mean, in, in, in my book, I talk a lot, about, a lot about the importance of transparency. Mm. Um, I talk a lot about the importance of openness and transparency. And um, quick story there. Um, we were probably four or five months into it. Um, so now we're into the first quarter of 2009. And um, we realized that, you know, we just can't keep running with the number of employees that we have. So we had a management meeting where, you know, the top people in the company, you know, we had all look at the financial statements and realized projections. And, and really, depending on the depth of the recession, we could have laid off anywhere from 15% to 30%. But we, re, you know, we realized at that point in time that the recession was going to be long lasting and we had to cut a third of our workforce. Now, hmm. you know, when you talk about dealing with 5, 10% of your workforce, that's bad. Uh, you talk about dealing with 30% of your workforce, that's bone. <laughs> that's fat and bone. Yeah. Um, and, and we, so we're all sitting around this management meeting. And I remember one of my, um, one of my colleagues basically said, well, well, we're not going to probably, we're not going to know for another 30 days to 45 days, like who are we, who are we going to cut? Who aren't we going to cut? So let's just um, stay quiet about this for the next 30 days. And then we'll have all the answers um, and we'll be able to disclose it to Wall Street. We'll be able to disclose it to our employees, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, we can't do that. And the thing that hit me was the day before walking around the hallways, and I could just see the somber look on people's face. Like everybody knew it was coming. And, and all the water cooler talk was, who's going to get laid off? Hmm. I mean, your employees know a lot more than you think they know. Yeah. <laughs> they're all, and by the way, they're all talking about it. And um, if it doesn't they can make, read your body language. Oh, yeah. And if it doesn't make it to social media, you're lucky. So, <laughs> nowadays, yeah. yeah. Nowadays. And um, so I said, no, we can't do that. We're trying to, if we're trying to build trust in this organization, we got to do it through transparency. Mm. And oh, so um, good. And unfortunately, when you're a public company, you can't, um, you can't disclose something that important to your workforce before you disclose it to the marketplace. So we made the decision that some, something like, you know, we, we, we had made the decision, 33, 30% of our workforce, 30, 32%, I think the number was, have to go. And so we made the announcement to Wall Street a day or two after that. And then we met with all of our employees after that because we couldn't do one before the other. And um, we sat there in front of all of our employees. And we said, look, we could have waited 30 days and had all the answers, but we want you to know that when we make decisions, we're coming to you and we're talking to you about it. We're going to be as transparent as we can mm -hmm. about everything that we can. And we're going to, and we basically held what turned out to be about a four hour meeting with no end where we allowed everybody, we webcasted to Europe, all of our European colleagues, our, our Asian colleagues were sleeping. Um, and um, we told them that we, there, there was no bad question. We showed them the math. We took them through what was going to happen to the company in the event that we didn't do it. And we said, you know, here's our choice. Either none of us are going to be around in a year from now, or two thirds of us are going to be around. We'd rather two thirds of us be around. So we got to do this. Here's the math. And we were just completely transparent with them. We told them no question was off limits. Um, we told them we were going to go over and beyond as a company that was on the verge of bankruptcy, we were still going to go over and beyond and pay fair severance packages. And if that, and it wasn't going to bankrupt the company, but we wish, we wish we didn't have to, but we were going to, um, we were going to send them through outplacement services. We were going to give them financial advice. We were going to give them counseling. We were going to, um, 
make sure that we took care of our employees. And, uh, but we just couldn't tell them who the 33% was that day. And so in doing that, you know, we were worried that it was going to create a morale problem because people don't like to walk around the hallway not knowing if it was going to be them or not. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that the transparency won in the long run. Oh, it, good. Okay. It really won in the long run. And I hmm. think, I think uh, and by the way, some of the people that we laid off when we started getting financially stronger actually came back to the company. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that had a lot to do with, you know, it was one step in the whole process of building trust in the organization. Wow. That, so many good stories, Walt. Can we dig a little deeper into that situation? Walt, you touched yeah. on it right at the end. Because even on smaller scales, I've seen a lot of leaders, I'm seeing it happen right now with COVID. They have said, we're not going to tell them because of what you said. We don't want them to live in uncertainty. And they say, that's, that's what people first leaders do. We don't put them at dis-ease. So you had a very difficult issue there. I mean, I don't know yeah. that there's a right or wrong in that, but I do love the transparency. So speak to what was going on behind doors in making that decision to share it and know that you might have discomfort and morale issues because that wasn't a clear cut. Oh, of course, this is what you do if you're a vulnerable leader. Well, I would just say this, Jeff. One of the things I've learned in my career is that when you communicate, there's a couple things that you should do. First of all, when you communicate, you should communicate over and over and over. Um, um, you, you can't say things once and everybody gets it. But the other thing when you communicate, sometimes the things that you don't say are actually very important. Um, and sometimes they should be said. There are so many times when there's an elephant in the room and you walk in the room and you think as a leader, nobody knows it, but everybody <laughs> knows it. Everybody knows it. And if, you're just, if you just ask a few people before you walk in the room, you're going to find out that they're, they want you to deal with this issue. Yeah. Okay. And, and by the way, if you don't deal with this issue, it's a mark on your leadership. Yep. It's a negative mark on your leadership. That's the one thing. Leaders have to be very cognizant of not just what they communicate, but what they don't communicate mm -hmm. to people. I'm telling you. And so... I was so fortunate I had a management team that had been, they, were, they had been around the block. They were terrific. I mean, they were absolutely terrific. I had a CFO and a chief investment officer and a, a general counsel that, I mean, they reminded me of things every single day that I needed to know. And they were great conscience. They would walk up and say, you know, I just want you to know employees are thinking this. <laughs> okay, so. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Deal with it. <laughs> Uh, you know, so I, I, think, I think, you know, you were talking about asking, listening. I mean, why are those things important? I'm just telling you another reason why they're important. They're important because leaders sometimes have to deal with the elephant in the room, and oftentimes they don't know what that elephant is. <laughs> so the more they listen to their colleagues, the more they listen to people that are in the field, the more they know what those things are. Let me tell you, I used to fly around all over the world. I traveled 300,000 miles a year. Um, when I flew into the Paris office, the first thing I did do was meet with the person that ran the Paris office. We'd have breakfast together and we'd talk about, okay, what is on all your employees' minds? What do I need to cover? Because when I went to every city, that's what a CEO does. They, they, they sit there and they talk with their people. Um, if they don't, they're not, unfortunately, they're not doing their job. And so yes. I, I would just download, I'd just download, I'd go to the UK, I'd do the same thing. I'd fly to, Asia would meet for dinner because you get there at four o'clock, not seven o'clock in the morning. And, and we'd, at dinner, we'd talk about, okay, what do you want me to talk about tomorrow morning? What's on your employees' minds? And um, deal with the elephant in the room. So that's what's going through my mind at that time. And I think if you deal with the elephant in the room, you communicate the things that perhaps you don't think you should communicate, but everybody else does, mm -hmm. um, you actually create the trust and the transparency that you, that you want to in an organization. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartevera. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartevera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. 
We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cardavera.com. Welcome back. Well, I, I, I agree completely. And I think you, you touched on something, Walt, that Craig and I as a regular, and not only something we talk about, it is a core part of what will be the Cardavera training. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something in every speech I do on leadership is I talk about impact awareness mm-hmm. and impact ownership. Yeah. And the phrase, I, I forget, well, the phrase is everything a leader says and does and everything a leader doesn't do and doesn't say has an impact, but particularly unintended impact. Yeah. And the leader's opportunity is to pay more attention to that. And when it happens, take full responsibility for it. And you didn't use the word impact, but that's what I heard in it. Like you said, if I don't say anything, there's going to be an impact of that. Yeah. Um, I think, I think there's, they, they keep coming back to fear and leaders don't want to hear this in the conversation, but so much I see of the leadership gaps come back to fear. Yeah. yeah. The leaders yeah. must say, I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> and yet we, we have that imposter syndrome. And if you, if we really ask people what's, what's top of mind for them, they want to build their confidence. And I think that's another way of saying, I want to reduce my, my, um, that, that syndrome. Yeah, I think that's right. I think fear has a lot to do with it. Um, and it's fear of the unknown. Oh, well, I don't know how they're going to react. So therefore I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> that's a bad, that, sometimes yeah. it's a bad thing, you know, I mean, don't, don't assume that that's right. I think the more open you are, look, I'm not saying as a, as a, a leader that you need to tell everything. You know, right. somebody asked me one time, do you, do, you, do you tell all your employees everything? No, I don't. But I probably tell them 97%. I mean, there's, there are certain things that you can't say. Yeah. Um, there's certain compensation things you can't tell people. You know, I mean, you know, I, I get that. But actually, there's a lot more you can tell them than you think that you, that you can tell them. And if you, if you do... I mean, it's sort of like your wife, right? You know, I, if you don't tell your wife a bunch of stuff, do you think she's going to trust you over time? No. Right. You know, you've got to tell them things. And, and so it's the same thing with your employees. You know? Well, and, tr- and trust is a flow too. You know, yeah. my, why should my employees and team members trust me if I don't trust them? And a lot of times the reason I won't share with them is I don't trust them. That's exactly right. Uh, ab- absolutely right. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think you, I think leaders need to let go. That's all about delegation. I, I, I talk a lot in, in, in my book about, you know, releasing trust to other people and, um, and delegating and giving credit, recognizing. I talk a lot about how leaders should be conductors, not soloists. You know, <laughs> that's you know, a great perspective. Let's, let's take a, let's take a, let's take an orchestra. Um, you know, the soloist gets up and they do their solo. And of course the crowd gives them, uh, a standing ovation, but at the conductor at the end, what the conductor does is, yes, the conductor bows, but really most good conductors go like this. Yep. And they point to the orchestra, right? And the orchestra bows and, and like, you know, they give the, they, so what are they doing? They're empowering, they're lifting them up, they're trusting them, right? But at the end, they're recognizing them. They're giving them the credit, okay? Yes. That's what leaders do. They're not, they're not soloists. They're not doing the work anymore. They're conducting, you know? And uh, so, and in, in, and in conducting, there's trust. When, when the conductor lets the soloist get up and do their solo, well, yeah, they've probably heard it 20 times, but they're trusting that they're going to do a great job. Otherwise, they'd do it themselves. Well, that, that, that's not going to work. You see what I'm saying? That's what leadership is about. <laughs> I, I never heard that analogy. I really like that. And for some reason, what flashed in my head was not music, actually, because I'm a movie guy. And what I was thinking, well, movie and television, but what I was thinking about, and I'm trying to see how it fits, so I'm going to just share it. The, the show Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> go back to the beginnings of that show. And I've read some, and I've seen some little mini films on this, that the actor in the early days that was seen who has had the most successful career by hands down is Bill Murray. Huh. 
If you look at Bill Murray is still acting today and he is, he has done a range of things from, you know, wild comedy like um, Caddyshack to very deep emotional movies. And a lot, the other actors, you know, the Chevy Chases, the Steve Martins, they had their narrow genre and they had some, they had some runway, but Bill Murray has had the longest runway. And what people said is that he was, was the most humble of them. Hmm. Yeah. And he was all about helping them all be better mm, yeah. instead of being the soloist. And wow. they said back then that was his nature. Mm. He was more like, show me how to serve. Mm. Show me how to serve. I don't need to be out front. And we haven't talked about that phrase, a servant leader. To me, everything you're talking about is about the essence of servant leadership. Yeah. Uh, I think it's become cliche and as our mutual friend, this won't surprise you, Tommy Spaulding was on the show early on, back in March or April. And the one, th one of the many things he said, he said, look, he said, most leaders don't wake up in the morning saying, I'm going to be an asshole. <laughs> in fact, he said, 90% of leaders will tell you they're a servant leader and they value the people. But the truth is only about 10% of those are. Yeah. Because they have a great idea in their head, but they don't show up that way. And that's what I love about all the things you've shared and such mm. a beautiful job with the stories to tell people through the stories if this is what it means to show up this way. Yeah. Not just to talk about it. So um, I, I, let me, can I share one more story with you? Of course. Please. So um, um, about a month after I took over, um, I had a conversation with um, an investment banker friend of mine who said, well, well, you guys are, supposedly going bankrupt, you know, Morgan, Morgan Stanley, which is his firm, you know, everybody talks about us going bankrupt too. Would you like to talk to the head of Morgan Stanley, the CEO, whose name was John Mack? And I said, sure. And um, so mutual, you know, mutual commiseration, we get on the line and I said, John, um, you know, tell me how you're managing your people. And he said, well, well, I manage my people on the basis of the three H's. And I said, what is that? And he said, the best leaders in the world are humble. They're honest. And in this day and age, a banker needs to have a sense of humor. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, um, I, I went back. I'm a, I'm a deeply spiritual guy. And I went back and I asked myself, um, who is Jesus Christ? who I have the deepest respect for. Um, and whether your listeners are, are Christians or not doesn't matter, but I, you, you, would, you would have to say that even if you weren't a believer that Jesus Christ was God or Lord, you'd have to say that he was certainly one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, mm, if you read his parables and the like. And so I, I went back and I said, who is he? He's the most humble person that you ever meet. He's brutally honest. And he wasn't the most humorous guy in the world, but what he was was human. And um, by the way, I think that word humor falls underneath of a broader category, which is being human. It's about being related, relatable to people and, and the like. And those became my three H's. I write about in, in the book, it's my three H core. I, I truly believe that those three things are what defines great leaders, mm. humility, honesty, and heart. I say heart. Uh, I would, you could also use the word human, um, but <laughs> really treating people as servants, you know, uh, in, in a servant way, you know, and that's really what I mean by, by uh, humanity. Mm. I think so humility, humility is how you see yourself to a degree humanness or heart is how you see other people mm. and honesty is the transaction or call it the action that connects the two. Um, mm. And they, and they, 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 they come together as a, what I call a three H core. And that, that really defines how I think about leadership. Wow. <laughs> I don't think usually we can go anywhere from there. <laughs> yeah, usually, usually a pause from Craig and I means we don't have any more questions. That's not true. We're that processing, pause, deep processing. That was a pause of taking it all in. Um, wow. And really 
I'll add an H, uh, being honored that you're with us, Walt, yes. to share that and Absolutely. to share it with our listeners uh, today and into the future. And I'm excited to read your book. Me too. Uh, you know, I, yeah, that was a perfect bow. That was a perfect bow. So a couple of wrap up things, Walt, your book just came out. Tell, let people know where can they get it? Is it actually available yet? I know it's I see it month. on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's, it's not available. Technically you can pre-order it. Um, oh, okay. You can, you know, obviously you can get it any, any major retailer. Amazon um, has it on pre-order right now. Um, probably Barnes and Noble down the road. Um, so you can get it in digital hard copy. Um, also how to get a hold of me would be my website is Walt rakowich.com and i will spell that for you um w-a-l-t-r-a-k-o-w-i-c-h uh dot com um i'm on twitter at at walt rakowich walt rakowich that is and linkedin walter rakowich put the er at the end of of uh, walt so anyway yeah it's just a been a delight to be on here i i can't tell you how excited i am to do this with you guys and and I'm totally on board with the way you think about leadership as well. So, oh, so fantastic. We'll put all yeah. that in the show notes, Walt. Uh, as you know, ahead of time, we always wrap up with a couple questions. And sure. one of the questions for you, Walt, is there's so many ideas you've shared a lot, but what's that one chunk of wisdom, the, the big, bold, shining light that comes out for you about leadership? Yeah, I would say this, Jeff. You know, too often, I think we we define success the wrong way. You know, um, we watch sports and we ask who won. <laughs> we call stocks, I, I like to say, we call stocks winners and losers. You know, winners are the ones that perform well, right? Um, I'd like to turn that around a little bit. I, I think it is, it is about, you know, the, 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 the result. Don't get me wrong. But it also, and more importantly, I think it's about the journey mm. um, in getting there. And too often, we as leaders are fixed on the result. Um, sometimes that leads to the pride and the fear we talked about. But if we're so affixed on the result and we're not affixed on the journey to get there, mm. I think we miss the most important thing about leadership. And, and that is the influence that we have on the lives of others. And I think if we spend more time outside of our own box, looking, out, you know, looking at the people that we manage and saying, how can we make them better? How can we change their lives? If we do that, we'll get to that journey. I mean, excuse me, we'll get to that result. Right. But, but don't forget about the journey. That's what I would leave, leave your uh, listeners with. Ah, so good. It is about the long, long game. It yep. is so good. And- that that popped into my head as you said that, Walt. I don't know if Craig knows this story. Every year the last eight years, this year is now at risk because of COVID. I do a trip with my dad. Mm -hmm. um, and we spend anywhere from three to eight days together. And it's been amazing. And uh, two years ago, we were out west. And we were driving across Montana during an incredible storm. As you know, you get Montana. And we got done and the sun came out. And my dad is now 83, so he's 81 at the time. And he's not, he's a deep man of faith, but he's not exactly what you would call the guy that's going to have the sort of the spiritual conversation. He said, you know, Jeff, our trips, I love the places we go. I learn so much. It's really fun to be there and hear the stories. But I think what's even better than all of that is what matters most is the journey to get there. Yeah. And I said, Dad, did you just say... <laughs> It's not about the destination, it's the journey. He said, yeah, why? Because he'd never heard that before. <laughs> and I said, well, you just dropped some wisdom, Dad. That's, awesome. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so one other question to, to wrap it up, and I love this one because it's about models. Yeah. So who is a leadership role model for you, and, and what's the, the big learning that you took from that person? So um, people ask me that all the time. And I, I, I can tell you that there are two of them, two leaders. Um, it may surprise you. I don't know. One of them. Uh, well, and I'll tell you, uh, let me lead into this a little bit and just say that um, I think leadership, and I haven't really covered this today, but I think leadership is about trial and error. For me, it was about making mistakes, 
learning from those mistakes and then becoming better and better over time. Um, and these two leaders made mistakes and, and accomplished great things. The first one is Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Nelson Mandela was a radical, um, complete radical, and uh, paid the price for it, 27 years in jail. Mm-hmm. When he got out of jail, though, he all of a sudden became different. It wasn't all about his agenda. It was about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. It was about humility. And in, in some respects, the, uh, the blacks um, in South Africa who were friends with him when he was radical actually defriended him because he actually put out the olive branch to the other side. He went to rugby matches, which were all white teams, and, and showed the other side that they were important to him and became president of South Africa. And when he did, he was about reconciliation and humility. And you know what? almost completely wiped out, really completely wiped out apartheid mm. in South Africa, changed the face of how uh, South Africa is today. Another one is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a member of the British Parliament in the late 1700s. And William Wil- Wilberforce in, in his early years was a carouser. He was a drinker and a smoker and a ladies' man and, you know, a, a, a guy that um, really was out for himself. He was thought to be disorganized. And even though he was a member of British, British Parliament, um, you know, he, 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 lived, he lived an individual life. And he had a, a spiritual revelation in his life. And he came to know God and he became a humanitarian. Hmm. And it took him 40 years, but he completely abolished the slave trade in the UK, which was 80% of their revenues, their foreign revenues at the time came through the slave trade. Wow. And you look at the impact that these two guys made through humility, through reconciliation, through um, humanitarianism, through putting others before themselves, um, by putting their agenda aside to a certain degree um, and, and focusing on what was right in the world. I mean, these are leaders that were phenomenal. Um, in terms of what they, uh, you know, the impact that they made on the world. And, and so that's, th- th- these are role models to me. This is, this is how I like to think about living my life. Well, thank you for that, Walt. I, I have someone new to study. I know Mandela well. In fact, he's on my website as one of my role models. But Wilberforce, I did not know the story. That's going on the reading list. So a couple wrap-up things, Walt. Your book just came out. Tell let people know where can they get it. Is it actually available yet? I know it's. I see it month. on Amazon right now. Yeah, it's it's not available technically. You can pre-order it. Um, oh, okay. You can you know obviously you can get it any any major retailer. Amazon um, has it on pre-order right now. Um, probably Barnes and Noble down the road. Um, so you can get it in digital hard copy. Um, also, how to get a hold of me would be my website is Walt. Rakowich.com, and I will spell that for you. Um, w a l t r a k o w i c h dot com. Um, I'm on Twitter at, at Walt Rakowich, Walt Rakowich, that is, and LinkedIn, Walter Rakowich. Put the er at the end of, of uh, Walt. So, anyway, yeah, it's just a, been a delight to be on here. I, I can't tell you how excited I am to do this with you guys, and, and I'm totally on board with the way you think about leadership as well. So, Oh, so fantastic. We'll put all yeah. that in the show notes, Walt. Uh, as you know, ahead of time, we always wrap up with a couple questions. And one of the questions for you, Walt, is there's so many ideas you've shared a lot, but what's that one chunk of wisdom, the, the big, bold, shining light that comes out for you about leadership? Yeah, I would say this, Jeff. You know, too often, I think we, we define success the wrong way. You know, um, we watch sports and we ask who won. <laughs> we call stocks, I, I like to say, we call stocks winners and losers. You know, winners are the ones that perform well, right? Um, I'd like to turn that around a little bit. I, I think it is, it is about, you know, the, 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 the result. Don't get me wrong. But it also, and more importantly, I think it's about the journey mm. um, in getting there. 
And too often, we as leaders are fixed on the result. Um, sometimes that leads to the pride and the fear we talked about. But if we're so affixed on the result and we're not affixed in the journey to get there, hmm. I think we miss the most important thing about leadership. And, and that is the influence that we have on the lives of others. And I think if we spend more time outside of our own box, looking, out, you know, looking at the people that we manage and saying, how can we make them better? How can we change their life? If we do that, we'll get to that journey. I mean, excuse me, we'll get to that result. Right. But, but don't forget about the journey. That's what I would leave, leave your uh, listeners with. Uh, so good. It is about the long, long game. It yep. is so good. And that, that popped into my head as you said that, Walt. I don't know if Craig knows this story. Every year the last eight years, this year is now at risk because of COVID. I do a trip with my dad. Mm. Wow. Um, and we spend anywhere from three to eight days together. And it's been amazing. And uh, two years ago, we were out west. And we were driving across Montana during an incredible storm. As you know, you get Montana. And we got done and the sun came out. And my dad is now 83, so he's 81 at the time. And he's not, he's a deep man of faith, but he's not exactly what you would call the guy that's going to have the sort of the spiritual conversation. He said, you know, Jeff, our trips, I love the places we go. I learn so much. It's really fun to be there and hear the stories. But I think what's even better than all of that is what matters most is the journey to get there. Yeah. And I said, Dad, did you just say it's not about the destination, it's the journey? He said, yeah, why? Because he'd never heard that before. And I said, well, you just dropped some wisdom, Dad. That's, awesome. That's great. Yeah. That's great. So, so one other question to, to wrap it up, and I love this one because it's about models. Yeah. So who is a leadership role model for you, and, and what's the, the big learning that you took from that person? So um, people ask me that all the time. And I, I, I can tell you that there are two of them, two leaders. Um, it may surprise you. I don't know. One of them. Uh, well, and I'll tell you, uh, let me lead into this a little bit and just say that um, I think leadership, and I haven't really covered this today, but I think leadership is about trial and error. For me, it was about making mistakes, learning from those mistakes, and then becoming better and better over time. Um, and these two leaders made mistakes and, and accomplished great things. The first one is Nelson Mandela. Mm -hmm. Nelson Mandela was a radical, um, complete radical, and uh, paid the price for it, 27 years in jail. Mm. When he got out of jail, though, he all of a sudden became different. It wasn't all about his agenda. It was about reconciliation. Mm. It was about humility. And in, in some respects, the, uh, the blacks um, in South Africa who were friends with him when he was radical actually defriended him because he actually put out the olive branch to the other side. He went to rugby matches, which were all white teams, and, and showed the other side that they were important to him and became president of South Africa. And when he did, he was about reconciliation and humility. And you know what? almost completely wiped out, really completely wiped out apartheid in South Africa, changed the face of how uh, South Africa is today. Another one is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a member of the British Parliament in the late 1700s. And William Wil Wilberforce in, in his early years was a carouser. He was a drinker and a smoker and a ladies' man and, you know, a, a, a guy that um, really was out for himself. He was thought to be disorganized. And even though he was a member of British, British Parliament, um, you know, he, 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 lived, he lived an individual life. And he had a, a spiritual revelation in his life. And he came to know God and he became a humanitarian. Hmm. And it took him 40 years, but he completely abolished the slave trade in the UK, which was 80% of their revenues, their foreign revenues at the time came through wow. the slave trade. Wow. And you look at the impact that these two guys made through humility, through reconciliation, through um, humanitarianism, through putting others before themselves, 
um, by putting their agenda aside to a certain degree um, and, and focusing on what was right in the world. I mean, these are leaders that were phenomenal um, in terms of what they, uh, you know, the impact that they made on the world. And, and so that's, th- th- these are role models to me. This is, this is how I like to think about living my life. Well, thank you for that, Walt. I, I have someone new to study. I know Mandela well. In fact, he's on my website as one of my role models. But Wilbur first, I did not know the story. That's going on the reading list. Super, guys. Thanks so much. Um, appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's so good to Thanks, talk to well. you. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartavera Tribe. The Cartavera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartavera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.